is my third time here. Obviously, the first time actually bringing God's word to you, which is awesome. I'm super keen to do that. And I've said to Riley, your pastor, a couple of times, you know, if I ever get the sack from my church, I'll come to this church because <laughs> I love this church. I've had a soft spot in my heart for this church for many, many years because um, when I was a new Christian, one of my close friends gave me a cassette tape. You remember those little cassette tapes? And it was a sermon uh, by a guy called C.J. Mahaney, right? So you know him, obviously one of the founding pastors and leaders of your wonderful movement. And it was simply entitled his sermon, Grace Versus Legalism. And my default back then, I think it still is, is towards legalism and being quite moralistic. And that sermon blessed me. And so I've had a soft spot for this movement ever since. And then a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, when I was the interim senior leader at my home church, uh, that was really difficult. Our church went through, you know, some rocky moments. And I contacted Dave Taylor. And he was so gracious to have me at his place. And he took me out to an expensive cafe, McDonald's. And, um, <laughs> and he gave me a bunch of books to read. And he was a real source of blessing. And so when I finally caught up with Riley, because I heard about this, you know, Sovereign Grace church plant here in Parramatta, I was super keen and super eager and so it's so awesome to be here to actually bring God's word to you. So if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and grab those. Of course you have your Bibles, right? You're a Sovereign Grace Church, yeah? Bible-believing, Bible-loving church. So we're going to jump in to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3. We're going to dive in at verse 6 and read down to the end of the chapter, verse 19. Now, I'm not too sure how I'm going to go uh, this afternoon, because I haven't preached face-to-face since March, all right, so that's sometimes, and also, this time is my nana nap time, I'm normally asleep, and so please pray for me as I preach, this is going to be interesting, I think. Verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, how awesome is that? We are the community of Christ, we are the family of God here together, if, he says, indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, now we get an extended citation of Psalm 95. As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors, ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. It's a tragic time, right, in the history of God's people. They were free, but their hearts were still enslaved. Verse 11. So I declared in my, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters... That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, verse 13, this is where we're going to camp out in our time this afternoon. If you want a title, by the way, for this sermon, it's Going the Distance Together, and it's straight here in verse 13. But, here's the contrast, but on this terrible backdrop, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As just been said, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then comes a series of questions, pertinent, challenging questions. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who had disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Father, that second song that we hummed this afternoon is so true. We're to base our lives on your living word. And Lord God, as we come around your word this afternoon, I pray that, Lord, we would be transformed as we sit under it, Lord. Lord God, would you enable me to preach it with courage and compassion and clarity? And may you find us all, Lord God, receiving your word, feeding on your word, Lord God, because your word is so so good. And we all said, Amen. Well, about three years ago, I, it was my day off, and I decided to take two of my daughters. My eldest was at school, and back then, Maddie, she was only two, and Annabelle, four. And so on my day off, often I go to my Mecca, which is Kurong, all right? So I took my daughters to Kurong, but just before I left, I did what parents do, and that is I checked the baby bag, all right, to see how many nappies was in the bag. And so Maddie, back then, obviously she wasn't a newborn, and so she didn't need to be changed 10 times a day, like Levi, that's the name of my son. And I noticed I had two nappies in the baby bag, so I thought, sweet, two's great, I'll be, I'll be fine. So I grabbed the kids, put them in the car, grabbed the baby bag, put them in the car, and off we went to Kurong. Well, I was in Kurong for about five minutes, and all of a sudden, Madison, my two-year-old, she, she ran past me, and I caught a whiff of her backside. And I thought, oh, no, here we go, right? It started already. I've only been here for five minutes. And so I took her to the bathroom and changed her. But as I was changing her, I noticed the consistency of her number two. And I thought, all right, there's going to be further slippage here, all right? I mean, the smell was bad. The color just gave it away. I was thinking... I'm hoping this is not diarrhea. So I thought, okay, I've got to finish my shop, and that's difficult for me in Kurong. Like, I've got to be there for at least two or three hours. And so I thought, all right, let's quickly do this. So I grabbed the kids, and they were running around. And about five minutes later, Madison, she comes up to me, and she's got this guilty look on her face. I'm like, uh-oh. She goes, Daddy, I've done a poo. One nappy down. Now it's two down. And so I changed her. I thought, right, I can't waste any time. I've got, I've got to get out of Kurong before it's too late. And so five minutes later, guess what? Maddie did the same thing. She came up to me, guilty look in her face, and she said, I've got another poo, Daddy. I'm like, oh, no. I'm starting to sweat at this time. I'm like, oh, seriously, I'm stuck between a rock and a soft poo now. <laughs> I was seriously in dire straits, right? And so I thought, what am I going to do? Well, I did the only thing I could do, and that is, and here's the punchline, I embraced community, all right, in the form of this unsuspecting mom. And so I went up to this mom. She had a kid similar age to Maddie, and I started to take her through the story. I, I got the baby bad, and two nappies in there, and Maddie, she's, uh, she's got diarrhea. And she kindly interrupted me, and she said, you need a nappy, don't you? I said, yeah, I need a nappy. 
So she gave me a nappy kindly, and I changed man. I thought, all right, quickly, I've got to finish this shop. And so I start piling up my basket with the books, and Maddie was okay. I was thinking, oh, great. So there's that kind of false sense of security set in. And so I thought, ah, oh, you know, I can relax now, enjoy my time here at Kurong. Well, about 15 minutes after that, it happened again, right? Maddie, guilty look in her face, the whole thing. And so again, I had to embrace community, but I was too embarrassed to go back to the first mom. And so I found this second unsuspected mother, took her through the whole story. She kindly gave me a nappy. I changed Madison's backside, and then we were out of there quick smart. In, you know, this is obviously a funny story, amusing story, but there is a point, and obviously you caught the catchphrase there, or the punchline, which is, I had to embrace community. If I chose in Kurong to fly solo, it would have been messy, right? The car journey home would have been pretty disastrous. And so I had to embrace community. And really, what our author is saying here, especially in verse 13, is that we need to do the same as Christians, that we can't afford to fly solo. To, to be like Clint Eastwood, you know, that kind of Christianity, just Jesus and me and forget his people. That if we want really our Christianity to be sustained and strengthened and nurtured, we desperately need to, to use Dietrich Bonhoeffer's expression, do life together. And so as we come around this text, we're going to notice at least three things about Christian communion. Really, my intention is for all of us. I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? I'm preaching to the converted. You're a church plant, for crying out loud. You love each other. You love doing life together. But I know there's always room for growth, right? Who's with me? Always room for growth, especially in our gotta-go kind of culture where we can be really impatient and time poor. We desperately need to do community. And so we're going to notice three things, and I pray that we'll be inspired to do life together even more so, and in turn, I guess, move away from our westernized, individualized form of Christianity, which is really just a poor imitation of biblical faith. And so, three things, all beginning with the letter C. I'm a simple guy, so it aids my memory, and I trust it will be helpful. So here's the first thing, the cure of community, the cure or the remedy of doing life together. You see, in verse 13, right at the beginning, our author uses a little pivotal word. And that word is, in Greek, Allah, and it's in the emphatic, it's but, which obviously communicates a contrast and a context. He's saying, but, but, this is what I want you to do. I want you to encourage each other daily. And it's in the present imperative. If any of you are Greek students out there, you know what that means. It means that we have to do this over and over and over and over again and not grow tired of doing that, like meeting and encouraging. Now, the question that we need to ask and pose ourselves is, all right, why this strong encouragement to daily encourage each other? Why? Of course, we need to get the backstory in front of us. And the backstory is this. It's quite clear, it's quite obvious from our passage and from the whole book of Hebrews that some of these believers here in this community of faith were being tempted to return to a form of Judaism. They were tempted to go back to the old way of doing things, the obsolete sacrificial system. You see, we've got to remember that in the first century, it was a lot easier to be a true blue Jew than it was to be a true blue follower of Jesus. I'm not saying it was easy to be a Jew, but it was a lot easier to you know, follow Judaism. To be a Christian meant sure persecution, as we can see in this letter 
to the Hebrews. And so some of them were like, you know what, I think it's just be easier for myself and my family if we just play it safe, if we just go back. But that was more than just merely going back to an obsolete system. That was akin to high treason against God. As one Scottish theologian in his classic commentary on Hebrews, F.F. Bruce, he says, and of course he's Scottish with a name like that, right, F.F. Bruce. <laughs> Just say it like Billy Connolly, yeah, F.F. Bruce. But this is what he says. He says, a relapse from Christianity into Judaism would be comparable to the action of the Israelites when they turned back their hearts unto Egypt. That's out of Acts chapter 7. He continues, it would not be a mere return to a position previously occupied, but a gesture, listen to his words, of outright apostasy, a complete break with God. This is why in our text, in verse 6, our author says, hey, we are his house, if, if indeed we hold on. In verse 14, we read something very similar. He says, we have come to share in Christ, meaning he's our treasure, he's our savior, he's our king. If indeed we hold, he says, our original conviction firmly to the end. Some of these believers were letting Jesus slip out of their hands. And so he warns them, he cautions them, he encourages them again and again. Whatever you do, don't do that. Because Jesus is the final prophet. He's God's climactic word. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's the priest who has inaugurated this new and better covenant with better promises. There's cleansing for the conscience. There's forgiveness of sins, acceptance with God. There's pure sanctification and the rest. And so he's cautioning, warning, don't fall away from Christ. This is why in verse 12 we read, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, including us, has a sinful, unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God. Because to sell out on Jesus is akin to high treason against God. It's turning away from him. What I find remarkable, though, as this is the kind of the backdrop to this but in verse 13, is the way that our author encourages these believers to say, stay true to Jesus. He doesn't simply just come up to them and say, okay, now here's the plan, all right? I want you just to remain faithful to Christ and so individually, I want you to just pull up your spiritual socks. He kind of says that, but he says a lot more than that in verse 13. He says the way, the cure against this apostasy is actually community. In verse 13, he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that, all right, for all you Greek students, the hymn clause, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, this is remarkable, our inspired author here of Hebrews, is absolutely convinced that the main cure, at least one of the main cures, for the craftiness of sin within and the high treason that still flows through our veins, even as Christians, is Christian community. Did you hear that? You heard it. Do we believe it? You see, one of the main preventatives to turning away from God according to our author here, is turning into each other, which is remarkable. Which, which, of course, the implication is what? I mean, he just lifts the bar on, on Christian community. He just puts it so high. He's saying, this is how I value and appreciate togetherness, life together, because it's a massive remedy against apostasy. And, of course, the implication, the point of application for each of us is, 
wow, Christian community should hold this special place in our heart. That we also should raise the bar of Christian community in our own Christian experience. Yeah? We're not allowed to sing, but I think you're allowed to say amen. You've got to help me out. I'm from one of those happy, clappy kind of churches, you know. If I don't get any amens, I'm like, man, I think I'm going to go home. <laughs> I think I should just stop. I've got a question, though, as we think about the cure of community, the remedy. What, what constitutes Christian community? This is kind of carrying us to our second consideration here. What, what, what makes Christian community Christian? What, what are we supposed to do when we gather together? In other words, what's the essence of Christian community? It's the second thing, the core of Christian community. Well, it's obvious from our text that in the mind of this inspired author here, the key ingredient is encouragement. That this is what we're supposed to do, not just once, but over and over and over again. We're to be a people of encouragement, he says. In fact, the English word here, encouragement, translates the Greek word parakeleo. Bit of crowd participation here. All say parakeleo. That's not bad. Parakeleo. You don't want to play this game, do you? All right. Parakleto, which is a rich, nuanced word in the New Testament. But the, the general sense is that it conveys this whole idea of pulling up alongside someone to offer them needed assistance. That's the whole idea. So sometimes <laughs> I go ice skating with my daughters, at least I try to. I don't glide on the ice. You know, I'm one of those kind of, I just kind of churn, cut up all the ice and, but when I go ice skating with my, my girl, sometimes I can see them in a spot of bother. You know, they're slipping and in danger of falling on their faces. And what I do, as a dad, obviously, I paracoletto. I just glide up. No, I, don't. I just skate up alongside them to offer them needed assistance. That's the, that's the idea of encouragement, the idea of paracoletto. And it, it's not pretty, okay, when I do that. It just ends up you know, being me leaning on them and them leaning on me like an A-shape and just kind of trying to move around the ice rink. It's not pretty, but it's effective, right? I don't break my neck, they don't break their neck. That's the idea of encouragement, paracoletto. When you kind of boil down this word, paracoletto, it includes at least two main ideas. All right, what we're supposed to be doing when we gather together as a church and in small groups protection and provision or promotion. Protection and provision. I'll explain each in turn. Protection. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, sitting at home trying to have a quiet time with four kids. That's pretty much impossible now, but I was trying at least. I was in the lounge room and I think I had my Bible or some Christian book. And I overheard my eldest, Kaylee say to Madison, my youngest daughter, hey, stop running around with that knife in your hand. You're going to hurt yourself. And of course, I've kind of jolted out of my you know, quiet uh, moment. And uh, so I put the book down. I went outside. I found my youngest, Maddie, in the garden, right? You've got to get this. She's holding a Victorinox knife in her hand. Now, if you own a Victorinox, they're, they're sharp, right? They're sharp. It's not like one of those blunt things. 
you know, use the screwdriver. This, this thing is sharp as. And in the other hand, I didn't know at the time, but she had a pot of paint. And what she was trying to do, she was trying to break the seal, all right, this pot with this Victorox knife. She gets her wisdom from me, I think. And, <laughs> and so, and so my, my daughter, Kaylee, she's like, what are you doing? Well, well Madison, she's a runner. All right, she's this whole you know fight and flight thing. She just she just runs when she knows she's in trouble. She legs it, and so I went out and she starts running around the garden with this knife in her hand. And I'm like, hey, hey, stop! I paracletoed her, right? I said, stop! And she froze. What the heck are you doing? It wasn't one of my best kind of father moments, but I, I went out to her. I took this Victorinox knife off her, put that on the table. And then I gave her a daddy tap. You know, a daddy tap? Kind of a, a daddy tap. <laughs> and I didn't know it was paint, right? And it just hit the floor. Green paint all over the place. Look, that was like two weeks ago. I have washed. I've still got green paint under my big uh, toenail. I don't know. I just had my thongs on. just went everywhere. Can't get it off. It's like super glue. What was going on in that interaction, pretty heated interaction, was paracoletto. It was protection. It was me, his dad, protecting my little one from sure harm. It was Kaylee, my eldest, protecting her little sis from sure harm. And this is what encouragement includes. It includes caring about each other to the point where we're willing to suffer a bit of discomfort, to forego a little bit of pride and uneasiness to say, how hey, I... I think there's a speck in your eye. Yeah, you've got to take the log out of your own eye first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure if this line of reasoning is all that wise. Or I'm not sure if this relationship you're about to get into is, is going to be good for you. I'm not sure if this attitude is, is really biblical. I, I think this line of living is, is maybe potentially idolatrous. And you know how it goes. It's about being honest and upfront. This is parakaleo. It's more than just, hey, stroke, stroke. Sometimes, you know, our English word is just a stroke, stroke. Uh -huh. You know, it's included, but it's a bit more firm than that. It's lovingly, with broken, tender hearts, getting in each other's faces and saying, speck. That's protection. That's paracoletta. You know, one of my favorite authors of church history, in fact, he's become a dear friend of mine, is C.H. Spurgeon, who's a Spurgeon fan in the house. Those of you without your hand up, shame on you. <laughs> he's awesome. I've been reading everything Spurgeon of late. And uh, yeah, I, I won't say any more. I was going to say something funny, but I won't. But this is what he says about Paracleto. This first idea of protection, uh, protecting each other. He says, listen to this. He who bids you to take heed to yourself would not have you settle down into a selfish care for yourself alone, lest you should become like Cain, who even dared to say to the Lord himself, Am I my brother's keeper? And of course, the answer to Cain was, Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. And God's answer to each of us is, Yes. You are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are your sister's keeper. I have blind spots that I can't see. It's what I call blind spots, right? If you get to know me well enough, you, you, you'll see them. You probably already have seen them, right? But I can't see them. I desperately need you. I desperately need my church family 
to lovingly point them out. You know, I, I think I'm a better pastor, a better Christian, better father, better leader, because I've had people doing this paracleto with me. It hasn't been easy for them, because sometimes I can be a puffer fish, you know, you come near, you, you say something, the spikes come up, it's going to hurt, no, I'm holier than thou, you know. Is that only me? But I'm, I'm better for it. And, and this is what's required of this kind of encouragement. Amen? And so we all have blind spots and we need each other to lovingly, lovingly, lovingly point them out. I know some people make this a kind of sport, right? <laughs> I've got the paracoletto role in the church. <laughs> it's not my notes. I'm just making it up. Hey, just enjoy being critical. That's, that's the whole log face thing, right? You're just walking around with your log. <laughs> All right, I'll move on. Second, provision. Provision. This is, and I won't spend as long on this part here. This is what you guys do. I know you do it. Because it's in your DNA as a church, right? I've only been with you for an hour. And you've been talking about the gospel nonstop. You just keep gossiping the gospel. You just keep talking about it over and over again. And it's in every song. And really, this is what encouragement includes. It includes pointing each other to Christ and the incredible resources we have in the gospel and what's been provided for us by God in Jesus. Again, I've, I've had men in my life who have had to do this, right? Because I know you find it hard to believe, but I've done some really silly things in my Christian life. I, I remember this one time, I've only been a Christian maybe a year, and I'm a hairdresser by trade by profession okay and i was working with this guy and he said something about jesus i didn't like and so i adopted a style of evangelism which i don't encourage you to do especially monday week i punched him out <laughs> not the greatest method of evangelism under the sun my brother right similar there's been sanctica- sanctification since i, I can get down to you <laughs> but my brother my younger brother he was kind of uh, this is an all honesty antichrist like he, he was just against Christ, trying to turn my siblings against me. And he said something about Jesus I didn't like. So I employed that method of evangelism again, and I punched him out. And you know what? I was so guilt-ridden. That's why I needed C.J.'s Mahaney's sermon now, you know, the whole grace thing. But, but through that sermon, through others coming alongside me and reminding me of my identity in Jesus, I, I'm here today because of them. And I know you're here today because of others who've done that in your life. They've, they've signed up, they've come alongside you, and they've said to me, they've said to you, and they said to me, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Yeah, you're flawed, you've, you've sinned, but you've confessed. You've got a sincere faith in Jesus. You're his, and he's forever. You've got this inheritance, and I've, I've needed that, and you've experienced that, and this is what we're to do when we gather, pointing each other again and again and again. Because remember, the present imperative, encouraging in the gospel over and over and over and over again, and not growing tired of doing that. Yeah? Now I'm expecting an amen around that now. There is one massive challenge to this, though, and I alluded to it at the start, I think, of the sermon. And that is, this requires this kind of communal care, this culture of encouragement presupposes and assumes that we spend enough quality time together that we actually see each other's blind spots, right? 
and that we're in each other's lives to the degree where we actually are pointing people to the rich provisions in, in Jesus. But of course, in our digital age, this is a massive challenge, I think. You know, there was an app developed back in 2016 that was called Gotta Go, the Gotta Go app. And I'm not sure if it's still around. If you've still got it, shame on you. <clears throat> but basically, the app was something that you could, you could pre-program a text to come through, right, to your phone, or, or a phone call to come. And so you're, you're in a meeting with a friend, and it's a bit messy, and it's a little awkward, and you don't really want to be there. And all of a sudden, your phone rings. It's like, ah, how convenient. And it's not from someone else. Right? You've preset that, yeah? Just in case it's one of those coffee catch-ups. And, and you find, oh, oh, really? You mean you speak to no one? Oh, really? Oh, I've got to go. Sorry, man, sorry, but I've got to go. You know, one Christian blogger, Jay Kim, he writes on this. He says this, quote, As convenient as apps like Gotta Go may seem on the surface, they reveal an alarming trend that we're all familiar with. Our digital technologies are increasingly subverting or overthrowing our understanding and experience of community. And a little caution here, don't think it's just out there. It's in here. He continues, even as they disguise themselves as catalysts for connection. The interconnectedness that technology promises comes with a caveat or a caution. If we really want true community, we have to be willing to endure necessarily difficult and uncomfortable situations. We all know that, right? True connection is never as clean as a swipe or click would have us believe. Unquote. We need to wage war against distraction when we're in the presence of each other. I mean, I'm a pastor. I preach this stuff. You know, and often I find myself just tipping the hat to Christian community, just happy for things to remain superficial because I'm constantly distracted. That's sinful. That's not community. And it's going to work against true paracleto. And so we've got to fight against this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there you have it, the two parts of paracleto. I know a little long-winded, but I trust helpful. And, 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 you know, we need to be on the receiving and giving end of this encouragement conundrum. We've got to both receive it, be humble enough to receive it, and also, and also brave enough to actually give it, because it requires both humility and bravery. And that really takes us naturally to our third point here, consideration, which is the catalyst for Christian community. This is the big question. What's going to actually enable the kind of community here that we're thinking about? This encouraging community, which in turn becomes this remedy against falling away from Jesus Christ. I mean, this is serious stuff. It couldn't get any more serious, I don't think. Well, here's the catalyst, and you know what the answer is, Sovereign Grace Church. You know what the answer is. You know what the answer is? Anyone? While I take a swig. All right. That was awesome. Allow me to take you to a very own statement of belief that I ripped from your website, all right? So I've been cheeky. And I don't know who wrote this, whether it was Riley or Dave Taylor, but it's awesome. This is what we read, and here's the answer. This is the catalyst for true 
community. We are committed, Sovereign Grace Church, we are committed to preaching the gospel, off for a great start, singing the gospel. It's great to clap, isn't it? But hey, how lame is it just standing there like, who just wants to let Ruben sing the gospel? We had our first face, I'm going way off notes here, and if I go over time, just shoot me or something, but we had our first face-to-face meeting last night, and I was really looking forward to it, and it was good to meet others, you know, and, and see them, but I was so frustrated. I just wanted to sing the gospel, not hum it, not hum it, to sing the gospel, be encouraged, hearing my brothers and sisters sing the gospel. All right, I'll continue. Because that's another sermon, and I will preach on. Praying the gospel. You can't pray the gospel if the gospel's not in your heart. And, and, listen to this. And this is what I love. I've made it bold. Building our, the, our church, Sovereign Grace Church, upon the gospel. The gospel is the catalyst for true community. The Holy Spirit moving through the gospel. We know this to be true. Romans 1 Verse 16, it's the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. In other words, it's the gospel power that creates the church, right? It's the Holy Spirit moving through the proclaimed gospel, the sung gospel that brings about conversion in the individual. And then those individuals come together and form a local church. And that is the gospel creating the church. But also, big rookie mistake just to say, okay, now we start with the gospel and then we just sideline the gospel. We can pretend to be gospel-centered, but really, it's sidelined, and you put moralism or legal or something else in its place. That's deadly. That's toxic. That's never going to be a catalyst for Christian community. That's going to kill community, right? And so we need this gospel, gospel, because it empowers the church to be the church. Not only creates the church, but it strengthens the church, as you know well. And so... As we come to a close here, I want to just ask this question, because we need to be practical, right? Kind of been a bit highfalutin in my exploration here of the gospel. What does it, what does it really mean, though, for the gospel to be the catalyst for community? Well, let me take you to answer that question to the end of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. In chapter 13, verse 12, this is what our author says here. He says, Jesus also suffered outside on the screen, yeah, the city gate. Just pause there. You know what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus died outside the community of God, the family, the household of God. The, t- the temple was considered to be the, where God dwelt, right? The presence, the household of God there in Jerusalem. And yet here we find our Savior dying outside of the community. That's why on the cross we hear our Savior say, my God, my God, why have you? Or... You could say, why have you driven me out of your family? Why have you abandoned me? And of course, Jesus knew the answer, and our author tells us. He says, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people, us, holy through his blood. And so the answer to the question, how is it that the gospel is the catalyst for community? It's this, that the gospel not only, I'm going to join the dots here, it not only overpowers the two monsters within that ruin community, namely pride and fear, but also the gospel creates these 
two qualities, main qualities that, that, that brings about the kind of community, encouraging committed community that we've been thinking about here. Humility and bravery. Humility and certainty. You see, because look, when this gospel penny drops over and over again, and it needs to in our hearts, over and over again, our hearts, they don't have a bottom. You do realize that, right? They're kind of bottomless. And so this gospel penny needs to continually drop, drop, drop further as we deeply, more, you know, more thoroughly realize the, the wonder of the gospel. When we, when we realize, well, I, I, I'm so bad that Jesus had to die for me, but yet simultaneously, I'm, I'm so loved before the creation of the world that he was willing to die for me. I mean, he was willing to be shoved out of the family of God so as to, as Peter says, bring us to God, bring us into the communion of God. I mean, when that, when that registers deep within and continually, man, that brings about humility because you're humbled, humbled to the dust. Like, I'm so bad that Jesus had to die for me, but simultaneously, you're affirmed beyond the stars because, wow, I'm so loved that he willingly bled for me to make me holy, which we are. And you see, it's humility and this certainty that's the catalyst for this kind of community. Because, as I said, if I'm a puffer fish every time you come to me, community's down the toilet. But if I'm humble enough, because, as the reformer said, simul justice et peccator, we're simultaneously righteous in the sight of God and yet flawed within when we really believe that, then we're going to be more receptive to each other. Yeah. And we're going to be more tender-hearted to each other when we start to point out these things that are potentially harmful, right? But humility is only part of it. We also need in the gospel this certainty. Because, see, if I am not certain in Christ, if I don't realize that Christ's medals are pinned to my chest, that I have the validation of the one whose opinion counts, namely God's, if I'm not convinced that I am accepted by him, then I'm always going to be treading on eggshells in your presence. I, I won't want to offend you because I really, really need your approval. I need your acceptance, can you see? Yeah? But when I'm affirmed beyond the stars, which we are in Christ, then that gives me the courage to say, look, you know, I really love your acceptance, but, but I don't need it for my life. If you reject me because I point something out in your life, then that's going to hurt me, but I won't be devastated. And that will encourage us to continue to do community together, both humility and certainty, which the gospel of Jesus Christ brings to us. It's the only thing that can give us this unique identity. Amen? So it's the gospel which is the catalyst that forms communities of deep encouragement, which in turn becomes a remedy against falling away from Jesus Christ. And none of us want to fall away from our precious Savior. But that's why we need each other. That's why we desperately need each other. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm preaching to the converted. But hey, let's continue to do this thing called Christian community. Amen. I love you, Sovereign Grace Church. Let me pray. Lord, how wonderful is your word. And how wonderful is the gospel. Lord, we know these things at one level. At another level, we don't really know them. We give in, Lord God, to moralism and legalism, self-condemnation again and again and again. 
Lord God, we do repent of that. And also we repent of just tipping the hat to Christian community and just being happy with superficiality. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we are in Christ affirmed beyond the stars. Lord, give us this humility in the gospel and the courage we already have to continue to love each other and parakaleo so that we go the distance together. Amen.